0: The Old Testament reading today are selections from Genesis 2 and 3. I begin in chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. You know this story, right? God goes on, takes a rib from the man and fashions a woman, a partner for him. Picking up in verse 22, the writer says, "'The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man was made into a woman and brought to the man. And the man and his wife were both naked, and listen to this, they were not ashamed.'" And this story has been told and retold and mistold millions of times. Walter Brueggemann, one of my professors and mentors, said that nothing else in the Bible has been more misused, misinterpreted, or misunderstood. Forget all the conventional explanations, Walter says. This is just a story about what it means to be human. I hope you also recognize that this is the second of two different creation stories in Genesis. The first is more familiar, that starts in chapter one, verse one, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void. Is this sounding familiar? And then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Please nod if that sounds familiar, okay. The writer of Genesis continues that pattern through the first six days of creation before finally announcing that the completed creation is very good. And on the seventh day, God rests. Now You have heard me say this before, but it cannot be said enough. These first chapters of Genesis are not a scientific record of how the world came into existence. I studied theology in graduate school and literature as an undergraduate, and then when I didn't have enough of either, I started taking classes like theology and literature. The first three chapters of Genesis are literature. They are beautiful flowing, it's beautiful flowing poetry that tells the story about what it means to be human. They are not a science textbook. Now look, I'm not a poet, but I recognize what's happening here. As the chapter builds, all of creation becomes more wonderful, more creative, more full, and fulfilled. It just keeps getting better and better. It was good. It was very good. It was very good. In fact, I was in a Bible study earlier this year when the leader told us that it is good... Could just as easily be translated it is beautiful it is beautiful it is very beautiful we are beautiful that's the essence of god's creation beauty and goodness and joy now if you were here or listening last week you remember that during my sermon i asked the question What if the church were more like an Irish pub? Again, to reiterate, there will be no Guinness taps installed in the atrium anytime soon. But if you've ever been to an Irish pub, you know it's not a terrible analogy. In Irish pubs, there's lots of conversation. And instead of drinking, the emphasis is on relationship and connection, for which all of us are desperately hungry. I just gave you a one-sentence summary of a 17-minute sermon. Maybe you wish I'd just given you that last week. But I also mentioned that the equivalent for an Irish pub in this country might be a coffee shop or a beauty salon. Haley did me one better during children's time last week. She suggested that at its best, the church is like a playground. Now, I don't know what your playground memories are, but mine are mostly good. At Frostwood Elementary in Houston, we had a large expanse of pine trees at the far end of the playground that became the site for something we invented called Romans and gladiators. I don't think there were any rules. It was just hordes of children, like chasing other hordes of children, like tiny barbarians. No one ever got hurt. There were no weapons. And if you fell, you fell on soft pine straw. And there was always someone around to help pick you up. See, the playground is all about creativity and inviting others to take part. Playgrounds invite freedom and expression and joy. What if the church were more like a playground? A little bit later in this service, we're going to baptize Thea and Cap Nasrlaki. There are all sorts of fancy theological terms I could use about covenant and sign and repentance and means of grace, and all those things are true, but isn't what we're really doing just inviting them to join us on the playground? Here's a crazy thought. What if, instead of an hour at Bible study or a committee meeting, We spent that same hour playing, playing cards, or playing soccer, or even playing dress-up. Really, isn't that what the choir does during rehearsals? (laughs) It's play. It's fun. And it's supposed to be fun. In Luke's parable, a shepherd loses one of a hundred sheep and leaves the 99 to go find the one. When he has found it, Luke says he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And Look, the neighbors coming together doesn't change the outcome. The lost has already been found. But the point is the rejoicing, celebrating good news. And my gut tells me that the church should be more like that. See, playgrounds are places to learn. You learn things like, what do you do if your best friend has a new friend? Or your favorite piece of equipment is broken or taken? You probably remember that tattling to the teacher is a playground dynamic, but so is problem solving. On a playground, children learn and practice social skills and conflict resolution, effective communication, and safety, and personal boundaries, and how to respect others. They learn what educators call social language. That is, using language to communicate interactively. In the first year or two of COVID, teachers began learning that their four- to six-year-olds did really well with one-sided language. I need a Band-Aid. I'm hungry. I want to go home, but they struggled with conversation because all they had had was language coming at them one way through a screen. On the playground, we learn the give and take of relationships. That's true for children, and it's equally true for adults. Yesterday, Carl McDonald and Kathy and Phil and... Loudon and Rachel and I and Brian and Bill Carl spent four and a half hours at a hot and difficult grown-up meeting. I promise you, if we had stopped for recess at 1130, that meeting would have been half as contentious and twice as productive. That's the idea behind God's original playground, the Garden of Eden. According to the story, Eden was created as a a place where human beings could live in healthy relationship with the rest of creation, with one another, to till the ground, to enjoy it, to celebrate its bounty. In the words of that first creation story, it is good, it is beautiful, it is very beautiful. But let me continue in reading words from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. The serpent said to the woman, did, you, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. Listen, there's a bully on every playground. On the school playground, the bully tells you that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not cool enough, you need something more. You're not enough. Going back to Genesis They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? The man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God asked, who told you? that you were naked. In church world, the bully always pretends to speak for God. Maybe it was a minister, maybe it was a family member, maybe it was something, just something you read that says, you shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't do this. You're not enough. But let me tell you, we get in trouble every time we confuse the voice of God with the voice of someone who thinks that they get to speak for God. God never told Adam and Eve to be ashamed about their nakedness. That message comes from the bully pretending to speak for God. Please, never confuse God's amazing grace with the voice of the bully. One of our educators tells me about a child who is a part of her classroom. This little girl is elementary age, and she was, has, profound, has had profound cognitive and physical deficits since birth. But she loves noise and interaction, and she always recognizes the voice of preferred fe- people and friends. And here's what's happened over time. Despite her challenges, When the class goes to recess, the other children jostle around and get in line to be the ones who get to push Lanny's wheelchair. They help her into the adaptive swing, and they make sure the straps are fastened tightly. They check to make sure that her sunglasses are on straight. In the best incarnation of ourselves, isn't that exactly what the church should be? Forget the rules and the regulations and the litmus tests for belief. Just be kind, be beautiful, pick each other up, celebrate, laugh, and learn, and help. I'm not sure everyone will agree with me, but how about we just meet out on the playground and work it all out? Amen?